0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to episode 114. You are so weird lately. This week, we're recapping the 11th Doctor era of Doctor Who, as well as discussing season two, episode five of Angel, Dear Boy.
0: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, the eleventh uh, Doctor. Yeah. The the bigger, broader, overarching mm-hmm. themes. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. So, another another Doctor guess, bites the dust. <laughs> oh. Sorry. <laughs> so, that's a <laughs> interesting harsh. way to
0: put it. Yeah. Um, no, but we. I mean, of course, we've brought up before how the the regeneration is sort of like a death Mm -hmm. so we can certainly discuss that a bit um sure and uh so i'm trying to think of like there's we kind of talked a little bit about how this doctor um already like even without sort of the length of time that he spends in Christmas, mm-hmm. he's already sort of outlived mm-hmm. the long time spans of both nine and 10 yeah. to get together. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I mean, it's hard to hard to say exactly because we know the doctor lies, yeah. but if we like, if we believe um, the estimate that he gives in uh uh, Day of the Doctor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that it's about 300 years or something like that, right? right? Um, so I was thinking a little bit about that because while I, I mean, it, obviously it's interesting, but I, that changes a little bit. I mean, maybe not a ton, mm-hmm. but it changes a little bit the sort of dynamic that we have with the Doctor. Because even even though, like we talk about there being potential for like Nine having done a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. before we ever see him on screen. Yeah. And I mean with Ten there was some times where there was sort of possibilities for him to go off and do some things. Like we kind of get a little bit of that in Day of the Doctor. We're kind of like, oh, well we get the story behind him. Right. Marrying Elizabeth at the First, and we talk about how it's kind of like easy to see that he might have gone right from there, or almost right from there to the Ood and stuff. Yeah. So, percentage-wise, we see a much smaller percent of the Eleventh Doctor's time and adventures and stuff. Yeah. And and I don't, I mean, I don't know what I don't know if there's anything to make of that. Mm-hmm. Or if if there is, what that might be. But I just, I don't know. It felt like that was, like, something to at least point out. That, like, there's, we know that, like, for example, there was a lot of time between, at least for Clara, you know, like, we hear about the, you know, Wednesday thing. Like, right. see you next Wednesday. Right, right. Or maybe it's last Wednesday or whatever. And we don't know what the doctor did, sort of, in between those times. But it's possible he skipped one from one to the next and maybe they were all smushed together for him. Mm -hmm. Whereas Clara had a week, you know, in between, or it's possible he was gone years and years and did a bunch of stuff between each one and just kind of always remembered to come back and do whatever. Um, Those are probably both extremes. It was probably something more than immediately, but less than years and years. (laughs) If those aren't nebulous enough (laughs) endpoints, you know, um, but i just I guess I just sort of wanted to point that out that like we do actually have a doctor here who you know, even despite the time the amount of time that he spends in Christmas, which is itself quite a long time, mm-hmm. uh, you know this doctor who is presumably doing you know lots and lots of stuff, and we only see a relatively small portion of yeah. it yeah um, yeah, so
1: um anyway, no, I think that's a really good point, and like one of the things I kind of wanted to mention was sort of related to that was um, this idea of like I think it is a slightly different approach that I think you can see both in Matt Smith's acting the way he approaches it but also in Moffat's writing like the way he more so as a showrunner I guess how he likes to approach the story Um, and I feel like one thing that they definitely and I think this is this is a a taste thing, it's neither is better or worse. And I think you could even make a case that it's just a matter of, like, like, any one thing is maybe, like, it's good to kind of mix it up. And if it starts to go too much in one direction, you kind of course correct. So I'm not saying this is, like, you know, a good or a bad thing necessarily. But I think one thing you can see this era bringing back in is this idea of, like, the alien remoteness, which I think in the Davies era had gotten less emphasized. Like, I think there are times where, you know, Eccleston and Tennant, you know, because of the way they approach it or you have a kind of scene of, like, you know, mythic Time Lord power, you know, that you kind of sense the alien side of them. But most of the time, I think... You feel like they're your buddies. Like they're your kind of, they're your, sure. your, Eccleston's kind of like your average bloke who travels with you. And, you know, to the same sort of, like, you know, with the way he approaches it, very kind of like a little bit more open and emotional. Like they seem a little bit more human. Um, and I feel like one thing the Eleventh Doctor era kind of brings back in is this idea of, like, the the Doctor is this kind of more remote, more aloof, more unknowable. Doesn't mean he's, like, always scary. I mean, clearly this is, like, a silly Doctor, but I think um, mm-hmm. one of the ways I think Moffat does that is, like, with the age, like you said. Like, you know, he is so much older than anything. So he's not just, like, a couple hundred centuries old, but he's, like... Millennia, or like we don't even know how old he is, that's how old he is. Um, or like you have all these periods where he could be off doing anything, and we're just not privy to that information. Um, right. you know, so I think that, and then you couple that with Matt Smith and the way he kind of plays it as not quite understanding how humans, you know, interact with each other, like even just the little things like. You know, the kiss on each cheek and, you know, not understanding money and all that kind of thing. Um, it gives you, like, that kind of physical awkwardness combined with, like, the big remote age, I think, combines to give you one of the more alien doctors. Um, so, again, I don't know that either approach is preferable to the other one. Maybe, as a viewer, you prefer one over the other. Um... I kind of like both, and I like the way that, like, when it starts to get too much of one, it's it's time to sort of lean in the other direction, I guess. Um, yeah. But, um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, too, um, about, uh, kind of compare or contrast with some of the previous Doctors, um to do with the Eleventh Doctor's regeneration um, is... I also like how... And I haven't really thought about this in terms of the classic Doctors. If we think in that direction in the future, maybe we can keep our eye out for it. But um, at least for the new Doctors, I kind of like the way that they've... Since, you know, they've kind of approached the regeneration as like a type of death, I like the way that they approach it slightly differently each time that, you know, we talked about Eccleston's being more of like something sudden, like, you know, he, Mm -hmm. he sacrifices himself in the moment for Rose, you know, it's sort of non-premeditated and just sort of is sudden comes out of nowhere. Um, And then with the 10th, he's still kind of in his prime, but he sees the regeneration coming a long way away. So you have this kind of like, slow gradual like there's nothing you can do to stop it kind of like approaching dread um and I feel like it's interesting with the 11th doctor even though he lives for way longer and in a way can see the death coming a lot farther um it it, I like how they kind of Moffat frames it as like dying of old age like so it has a different quality to me than like he didn't die of a disease, but the tenth doctor's was more of like a disease. Like, it it's mm. it's slow, but there's also a sense of it's untimely and it's tragic. Whereas you know, with the eleventh doctor, it's this it, it is a kind of he's aging gradually over time, and in a way, he has more time to sort of make peace with it. Um, mm. And I was kind of interested by what you said in the last discussion because I think you're right that. There is a sense of the doctor, um, in a way, having him accept his death is kind of a departure for him. And you can read it in a definitely um, sort of defeated and sort of depressed way. Like, oh, it's not good to see the doctor. Like, that's the good thing about I don't want to go, right, is that he's fighting even to the end, and he doesn't want to give up. Whereas you could kind of be sad that the 11th Doctor just sort of gives it up and says, you know, all right, I'm old, just do it, you know, whatever. But I think there's also... I kind of like that you can read it that way, but there's also this other angle of... I think one of the reasons he's able to make piece with it is that it seems to be to do with his long life and the fact that he's finally like he says whether you know whether he's right about this he says you know I have finally found a place that needs me to stay and that he does end up kind of having some sort of fulfillment in the end I don't know it gives... Even though I'm kind of sad, and even though I'm glad that he gets more regenerations, there's also something a little bit more i don't know peaceful is the only word that I can really think of for his sort of attitude at the end um, so I like the way they they've they've not let the regenerations be too similar like they've come up with a slightly different approach each time, so you're not just doing the same story, but you know you have to find a like. Right. Think of a new way for him to face death. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. Well, and there is that idea of his being, you, you know, you get the sense sort of almost by his almost kind of fatalism at the mm-hmm. end that it's actually something that he might have been thinking about the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, from day one you know when you get you know the 11th doctor Mm -hmm. here only he really knows he's the 13th right you know like like that that's a fact that so maybe there is a sense of like it's not just that he's like the doctor has always had you know a sense of like Yes, I'm helping people, but I'm also exploring the galaxy. But there's also a sense of, you know, there's the his last bow sense, Mm -hmm. right? There's the the idea that this it's, you know, this is not only not only is Amy sort of the first face that this face saw, but his is the last face that anyone else will Mm -hmm. see, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, from that sort of initial moment on and like we don't get that explicitly up front mm-hmm. um you know when like season five starts because we're not thinking about right. doctor ending we're thinking about doctor beginning right. and and that's fine and that's appropriate but but there it like if doctor who is good at anything it's retconning itself sure. um you know and there is a sense that at the end there the there's an idea of Maybe that was sort of in his mind all along, and so things like you know that he he does sort of last longer than any other doctor at least sort of there's an implication there that he is i mean we obviously don't know mm-hmm. there's no like explicit evidence of that fact, but um
1: yeah, you know
0: even even thinking about it in that way that there's. That, you know, he he can clearly count to 13. He can do much more complex math than that. So, you know, that could easily have been something that was on his mind all along. And so sort of as much as Doctor Who is already about, you know, doing the things that you want to do now because you may not be able to do them later and, you know, experiencing all the joy now. It's like even more so Mm -hmm. than normal, you know, in this case, because... Because he is sort of on his last, he thinks right. and there seems to be some merit in that fact, like i you know as much as like as much as we we can talk about the regeneration limits and stuff mm-hmm. too you know a bit, but sort of more focusing on his psychology about the mm-hmm. limit like like there there's actually some merit given to. The idea that there really is only thirteen, right. not that it was just like some arbitrary number, because, as we kind of talked about, there is, there's this sort of affirmation by the simple fact that they override it, right, right. <laughs> that that this limit existed, whatever for whatever reason, whether it was self-imposed by the Gallifreyan time lords right. or whether it was some sort of natural right.
1: biological limitation, thing,
0: yeah. whatever, you know. <laughs> the idea that there is a limit there does seem to be at least confirmed mm-hmm. by the fact that they explicitly override yeah. it. So, yeah. um, it's not an altogether un- unreasonable thing for him to be feeling right at that point either that, you know, Hey, this is my last hurrah. I can, you know, I should do everything that I can at this point. And, and so in, and sort of thinking about that as a, as an arc. And again, I realize this is sort of retconning a bit. Sure. But you get you get to things like the whole season six arc mm-hmm. of, you know, the impossible astronaut killing him, and the entire season being about his potential death. Right. And when you're thinking about like, you know, uh, uh, what, uh what's his name? The you know, that is the Doctor, and he most certainly is right, dead. Right. You know, like that that idea of like you know, the horror that this could actually happen, like it kind of adds an even deeper layer onto that because it makes that more plausible in a way that like, even though we sort of saw the start of the regeneration in the show in Mm -hmm. that, which could have called into question the 13 limit or whatever. Like when we realized that like, no, actually we're getting the end of the Mm -hmm. doctor, you know, at the, you know, it's another season away, but like, that we're getting to the point where no, there actually is a limit to all this stuff that that could have theoretically been the last doctor and had, you know, had that sort of get adds a little extra layer of verisimilitude to that whole, you know, this is definitely the doctor and he is definitely dead. Kind of. Well, and
1: you realize like it does add so much more poignancy in retrospect, which I think is what a good retcon does. Like you don't, you know, retconning doesn't always, like, you know, convince you that, oh, you know, this was always the way it was. But, like, it, it's sort of a how good is the illusion? You know, like, how much can they create the illusion that this is where it was going all along? And that's, like, a really good retcon. So, like, a couple things. I think you kind of realize in retrospect that I think more so than in the Davies era, you realize that every... Um, Matt Smith's season is really about the death of the Doctor, you know, like, in, in, mm-hmm. some other, in some version or other, like, with season five, you know, it's kind of him sacrificing himself to the crack in time, which, for momentarily, sort of, he is the only thing that is erased, so that everything else can be preserved, and so he'll just be a story, you know, um, and you know, like you said, season six, it's like, all about whether or not that doctor on the beach is really the doctor and is he really dead um you know season 7 leading up to the revelation of Trenzalore and the tomb you know and then finally culminating here like with kind of his his latest cheat of death but like you get the sense mm-hmm. that this is really you know cheating death more so than a regular regeneration like here's really breaking the rules. Um, So, like, I think it does a really good job. You kind of realize that Moffat, each season has kind of been building up to this idea. Um, And I think it just makes, in retrospect, like, when you do go back and watch the Matt Smith stuff from the beginning, the fact that he... Like, I, I think it's fun also to talk about the Regenerations, like... Um, you know, we, we discussed how, uh, you know, the eighth doctor drinks his little potion and makes himself a warrior and he's like the, well, he's the only one to explicitly choose what form he gets. But I do think there is still the suggestion in there that the forms aren't completely arbitrary, you know, that there may be, you know, some like, you know, the war doctor going through his trauma is what gives you the kind of, you know, leather jacket Chris Freckleston. Like, they're based on their circumstances, you know, um, and it may not sure. be conscious, but subconsciously, maybe. So I think it's really sweet that if you then go back and realize, like you said, not only is this the doctor's last regeneration, but he knows it, because he can count, that <laughs> right. then, for his last regeneration, he comes out with this really young, silly kind of goofball, you know, like there's something kind of nice about that in retrospect that like, this is the form he, he took for his last hurrah. Um, And it's not like a, a, a dark broody, you know, grumpy doctor. It's a kind of youthful doctor who is ready to go and enjoy his last sort of trip around the universe, you know, for what he thinks is his last trip around the universe. Um, So when you kind of see him climb out of the TARDIS, like, it kind of, again, makes that a little bit even kind of nicer in retrospect, I think.
0: Hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, I mean, I like, retcon is often... Used in a sort of pejorative way, but I I agree with you that like the the a really well done retcon isn't not only isn't a bad thing, but it it makes you think even deeper about kind of everything that came before yeah. it, and it, it it recasts the story. But one, I mean, sort of a successful one will do it in a way that's not implausible. Mm-hmm. But like even beyond just sort of implausibility. it it does it in a way that recontextualizes things to an extent where you actually kind of like it better and, and, or at least are able to see how things are, you know, well, I already use the word deeper. I was trying to think of like a different way to say that, but like, you know how it, you know, how it, what, where it really does add actually a new layer to it and kind of gives an additional sort of meaning to, the things that came before mm-hmm. so um i i like that aspect and i don't i mean and you know we've talked about whether authorial intent is necessarily sure. whatever like i don't even know if that's you know if that's something moffat was intending or if it was just like he was just looking for a way to sort of get around that uh you know 13 limit and right He did it and it just sort of serendipitously works out, you know, to be that way as well. But whatever, whatever, whatever that is, while, you know, while there might be a desire to sort of credit Moffat with that, like in the end, it doesn't really matter because it works. Right. And like,
1: okay, (laughs) do you want to give him credit for thinking of it in the beginning or at the end? You know, because either way, like you said, it works. And so it's just a matter of you know, figuring out the timeline of when did you have this idea, it's interesting, but it doesn't tell you whether or not the story works. Um, and sure. I think I think the Eleventh Doctor story works just fine on its first viewing, and I think it works even better on subsequent, because you can go back with all these, you know, other, you know, more kind of serious undertones, but you kind of realize that's lurking under there, but... Um, you know, and it gives a bit more shade to the kind of fun adventures that you see him having early on. Um, another thing I want to point out, uh, one last thing about the regeneration, is that they have, um, I think it's a really nice touch, they have uh, uh, the the long song playing um, in the scene, which is the the scene that they, or the song that they sang to the god in the Rings of Akaten, when it, the one that's all about, you know, rest, my warrior, you know, your time is done. You know, they yeah, kind yeah, yeah. of play the melody of that in the background. So, you you know, just mm. those little nice touches of, you know... Uh, again, who knows, was that put in? Looking forward to his re- regeneration, or did they call it back? Doesn't matter. I think it... um I think it works really well.
0: Yeah. I don't... I wouldn't have picked up on the music. As as you know, I don't pick up quite on that as much as, as you do, but uh, oh, that's very interesting though.
1: Hmm. Um, well, okay. Do we have any other... Um, I have a couple things I wanted to say about um, Matt Smith in particular, but do we have any other... Um, Eleventh Doctor, sort of era, overarching stuff about like his character that we wanted to that you wanted to talk about. Um.
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think we talked a lot about it already. And um, no, I mean, I think the main the main things I wanted to say was yeah, just around how the how the you know the length of time. Mm -hmm sort of affects our understanding and and of course i mean i can see why from a maybe merchandising standpoint that helps because then you can get lots of audiobooks and novels that you know happen in the meantime and and other stories you know lots of room to play and that not not a bad thing you know like um well and the like tolkien even said about his own world you know for for other hearts and minds to you know sort of i was thinking like i think that i was thinking like not even
1: like you know for the merchandising, but for, like, fan content. I, that maybe. was I, my... I, no, I know. That
0: that was my cynical <laughs>
1: take no, on No, I know, but there's a lot of... It also leaves room for those other people. Like you said, it leaves room for the fan fiction and the art and the, like, you know, for stuff that isn't just yeah. the... I mean... It's not just BBC generated, but it's sort of open source, you know?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah which there's plenty out there. Sure. Um one one of the uh you know I this may be heresy to say but you could even imagine like so we talked about how Clara you know was sort of uh you know there every Wednesday and going on adventures with him maybe he had a different companion every day of the week sure. you know like maybe he had on Tuesdays he had Bill <laughs> and on Thursdays he had you know Charlene or right, right. something I don't know you know like there there could certainly be you know lots of different uh opportunities for right. for some of that sort of thing or or you know like we said like maybe maybe he went off and was gone for years at a time and and you know had a whole other set of circumstances and things that he dealt with in the meantime mm-hmm. um to sort of you know figure things out or do whatever yeah. um yeah or got stuck somewhere and just never bothered to bring it up and yeah you know returned on the next wednesday (laughs) Uh, so and and there's also i mean there's also like one of the things so i i don't know if we were going to talk about river at all but sort of in relation to the doctor Mm -hmm. like you get the you know, the whole sitting down with the diary and figuring out where you yeah. are. And you sort of get name drops of different things that were never really told about. In, right, we
1: still don't know anything you know, about the fish.
0: Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. So, but I mean, even beyond sort of the things that get named, there's pages and pages of events that they apparently mm-hmm. did together. And who knows what notes might have they have taken along with that. But certainly... We haven't seen enough to fill up, you know, both of those entire books of, right. you know, that they pull out each time. So, you know, so there's ideas there where, you know, you could have sort of their additional portions of their like courtship right. and whatever else you might want to call their time together, whether, I mean, right, we see them yeah, you, get married or whatever, but like, who knows how that plays out you know really in the long run kind of right
1: thing. i look forward to the matt smith and alex kingston led like audio adventure in like the next 10 years or something right you know um right yeah no i think it does leave a lot of it is very tolkienian in that way that like it spans such a huge amount of time that you leave all these gaps and half told stories and sort of you know distant horizons that like I think is good father both for the like official license, you know, BBC creators and for, you know, the just the fans, you know, to go back and it does it kind of encourages you to go and try to fill in those gaps, which I think is really good. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so uh, okay. Well, with Matt Smith, um, the only other thing, we I talked about a couple things I wanted to talk about with him, but um, I wanted to bring up, like, I think it was, like, I don't know, a couple months ago or whatever, like, someone was pressing me to say who my doctor was, and, who, who, like, which one do you really like better, Tennant or Smith? And I couldn't commit, because, and I feel like I wanted to mention this, because I feel like, I kind of like them for opposite reasons. Um, And I kind of wanted to, like, just mention, you know, for Matt Smith's sort of acting style, like, I think I talked about with Tennant how sort of elastic he is. That, for me, I enjoy the fact that he'll sort of mold himself for whatever the episode is. So, you know, he'll kind of form to fit the genre or the tone or whatever. Um, Whereas I really like that Matt Smith doesn't do that, that he is so specific, you know, and I think what what I really enjoy about this doctor is that you can put him in any genre, and he's just very enthusiastically himself, Um, and so, anyway, I don't know, like, where, if there's a lot to discuss with that, but just for kind of my appreciation of him, like, his sort of, His tone of voice, his physicality, the way he sort of approaches the scenes is always sort of, um, you know, very, very meticulous um, and consistent. So, um, again, I just really like how many different things you can do with the character, you know, and that, again, each is sort of equally valid. It's just a matter of um, finding a new approach, which I think he did. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Um, (laughs) and I also wanted to mention, just for Matt Smith, um, that he's sort of up and coming, you know, um, you know, as someone who's fairly early in his career, he has like, you know, he's done the, like, I finished my, you know, tenure on Doctor Who, I'm moving to Hollywood and doing the American movie thing. Um, which, good for him. So his stuff is, like, starting to come out now. Like, we mentioned Lost River, um, which unfortunately mm. didn't do well. But, it, it but <laughs> you know, Ryan Gosling, like, it's a high-profile thing, you know? Um, and uh, he was also uh, in the latest Terminator movie, which is, just came out. And um, mm. I think he's supposed to be in, there's more sequels that he'll apparently have even bigger roles in. Um, and they're also doing a movie of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which he will be in as well. Which I'm kind of looking forward to. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. That's so, funny.
0: I actually just picked up a copy of that. Did you? Book, so uh, sort of off. You know, I I don't know if I. I mean, that will make me more likely to actually. Yeah, read yeah. It.
1: <laughs> no, I feel like if if that whenever that comes out, I feel like I have to read that and and go see him in it. Um. So he's starting to do like. He and, you know, Karen Gillan have kind of done the thing of they're going to Hollywood and starting to sort of take over. So, good for them. Yeah. I hope to see them in lots more things soon.
0: Although unfortunately the that Terminator movie did not do very It didn't, no.
1: So either. maybe he <laughs> needs to pick his projects a little bit better, but um yeah. But he's getting high profile roles. So, um you know, That's good for him, I think. Um, Sure. So, did we have anything for, um, we haven't seen them in a little while, but we might as well again mention the ponds and river, because as far as I know, this is the last we will see of them. I don't know. We could maybe see them in some future, you know could be like a Sarah Jane thing of you never know when somebody's going to come back. Um, But, you know, I, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out again, that you get Amy as the first face, this face saw. And again, the last face that, I mean, he sees Clara, Mm -hmm. but kind of, there's that, there's that bookend symmetry too.
0: You kind of, well, but, and he turns away from Clara and then like, it's pretty much after that, that he starts changing. Right. So it's like I mean right. who knows if he actually sees Clara again. Right. You know, right. you could almost sort of say like he never actually like really sees her because he's sort of in the pain and throes right. of regeneration or whatever. Right.
1: So yeah, I mean I think basically you get that that bookend again like you did with the tenth doctor and Rose, is sort of um this is the this is their if 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 people have a doctor, this is their companion. You know, like the one companion above all who really like they connected with, I guess. Um, and uh, again, to kind of point out the music in that last episode, um, you have also the bookends of his relationship with children, and you get you know Barnabas sort of sitting by the TARDIS, you know, saying like, "Are you gonna are you gonna go away again and not come back? And I'll wait." and um you know, kind of recalling Amy waiting for him. And again, you have the Amy music playing in the background. So sort of reminding you of um, where the character started and everything. Um, So I'm not sure that I have a whole lot to say about the ponds and river, but um, just wanted to mention them as I want to talk about Claire in, in a moment. But I think the ponds and river are kind of the definitive you know, 11th doctor companions, basically. So.
0: The only, the only thing I would say is that like, there certainly seems to be with perhaps the only exception being Martha. Mm -hmm. There, there seems to be a pattern with companions Mm -hmm. that when they leave, it's due to some reason that they're never accessible again. Um, Rose, certainly. Yeah. Uh, uh, Donna, mm-hmm. you know, you can't go back to her because yeah. if she remembers something, it'll be terrible. Although, I suppose you could go back to her as a different doctor, mm. you know, with a different face or that she wouldn't recognize. But then, like, I also don't know if, like... So, say she has adventures with a new doctor and does Doctor you know companion-y type right. things with that doctor, like, would that trigger memories of the previous doctor? So it's still right. kind of risky. No, but I, but I, I, could, I could imagine I could at least, incorporating
1: her at least on the fringes of some story, you know, where she's right. there, even if she doesn't really understand what's going on.
0: Right, I could at least imagine her being back, Right. right. you know, in some But you're right that you way. can't
1: have Donna in her full Donna glory, understanding what's going on and... You know, there's still a sense of it can't go back to the way it was, I think. Which is what you were saying. Um.
0: Right, right, basically. Um, The pawns get sent back in time, you know, to a point where you can't really go back and help Mm -hmm. them. And they kind of say, don't anyway. We had a good go of it. um, And we're happy now. So, you know, you do get this recurring theme well and of course river Mm -hmm. which we see her time frame sort of backwards so it's not the same exactly but uh there is there is a sense there that like the whole reason she stops being with the doctor is because uh you know of this thing that happens to her where she's you know put in the into the computer and and stuff so and and we know that she is still there kind mm-hmm. of, at, you know, because we see like the whole stuff with Trenzler or whatever. So, um, yeah, just this idea that like the companions never, except in the case of Martha, mm-hmm. never really sort of just leave on their own. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. and that there's.
1: I mean, I think that's not to talk about Martha. I think that's kind of the point of Martha. That's her kind of, it. that's, it's appropriate that she's the only one because that's her story is to get to the point where it's right for her to leave and she makes that decision. Um, Whereas, and and that's actually kind of why I like Martha is that she gets to that point. But you're right that it does kind of make her the exception. All the others are. um, And I mean, you could even make an argument that poor Martha is still the outlier in the sense that you could kind of pair... The, the You know, Rose up with the ninth doctor, Donna up with the tenth doctor, the Ponds with Eleven, and then you sort of have, you know, Martha without the definitive doctor-companion relationship. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the pawns do kind of fit into that. So that's a case, I think, of Moffat following Davy's lead and kind of, um, mm. you know... And there's a kind of narrative necessity to it of, if you could go on forever, why wouldn't you? You know, so there has to be a reason why not. Um, you know, um, even though, like the ponds, even though they don't leave by choice, they do come to that kind of mature understanding where, like you said, they, they're happy where they are and they don't really want it to be meddled with or anything. Um, mm. But that actually brings up Clara because, um, sure, I think, um, you know, there's a sense in which, in those last couple minutes, you are kind of aware of the fact that he's imagining or hallucinating or fantasizing about Amy rather than connecting with the companion that is right there, you know, and she's like totally distraught, and he's like. In a world of his own, like, you know, now he's sort of dying and regenerating, so maybe we can't blame him too much. Um, but I think it's a good thing for the character, um, that she's staying and he's going because I think there has been a sense where she's been kind of second to the pawns and now we're getting a whole new doctor and she has the chance, I think, and we'll talk about whether we feel like it earns it or not, but there's the chance for her to sort of be the definitive companion for somebody else, you know? Um, so. Sure. Wanted to at least sort of broach that topic. And I, I like her with Matt Smith. I don't think there's anything wrong with their performance or their relationship. Um, but I think it's a good thing for Clara to sort of be the veteran and to have kind of somebody new come in and that she can kind of get to know on her own terms rather than being kind of the newbie.
0: Yeah. Although in that respect though, Rose is just as much the veteran at her point sure. when Tenant right. comes. Um,
1: yeah, and I think that's... The other thing... I think that's largely true. Like, I think she is kind of, in many ways, the lead for those first couple seasons. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, that wasn't that wasn't to deny anything you were saying, just sort of thinking about length of time that mm-hmm. the companion is with one Doctor before the next one comes. Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, because it's well yeah anyway not not to harp on that or anything i was actually just trying to think of like cuz i know i know there's actually a number of people who really dislike clara mm-hmm. um and i do know that clara sticks around mm-hmm. a while and i wasn't sure i guess not yet just thinking about the timing but i think i know that she's like still on the show as the next season is getting ready to air mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously not knowing what will happen soon, you know, to her character or whatever, Yeah. like at some point she will perhaps become the longest companion of New Yeah. I think she's because at that I think, point. Yeah. I was going to say, I think at, at this point, at least she is, she's longer than the Ponds yeah. who were there. Yeah.
1: Like
0: two, a little over two seasons.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. So,
0: so you know, I mean, with Clara, she's like, what, a season and a half or something? Yeah, like, a little more than a season The point and where and she's yeah. at. So, like, I mean, there's still maybe a little ways to go mm-hmm. with that, but um, if she hasn't already surpassed Rose in, like, number of episodes or whatever, has, however I you want to yeah. manage that, then, then like, she will soon be coming up on the pond, so I guess would hold that sort of credential, mm-hmm. you know, on their own. So, Or at least Amy you know, cause Rory kind of comes in
1: yeah,
0: as a full companion a little bit later or whatever. So anyway, that I mean, I guess it's just interesting to me that there is like maybe, you know, some people have warmed up more to Clara, but I do, I I'm aware at least that there is a response to mm-hmm. her of not really liking her much. And so I, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how the dynamic changes, you yeah. know, with, with the new doctor and stuff. And also, and I mean, I, I thought she was fine with Matt Smith and I kind of liked, I kind of liked her, her early introduction, Mm -hmm. you know, in the form of Oswald, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and sort of getting that. And then the later, you know, the explanation and, and you're getting kind of the, the best of both worlds with like setting the stage for an arc, even Mm -hmm. though like it takes a while for that payoff, like it's not quite as, demanding as the season six arc is yeah. but it's also i i think i thought it was well done in the way her storyline plays out but also like once her storyline kind of plays out they also give her it's not like okay that was it now we can move on it's like oh well now now that we've done that we, let's work on figuring out what else you know how else she can relate to the yeah.
1: doctor and that kind i'm of with thing. you i kind of feel like and maybe i don't really understand what the problem is but um I feel like the the dislike that I've seen is sort of based on kind of outdated criticism in the sense that, like, it seems to me that a lot of people are stuck on uh, issues that were only a problem in her first, like, couple episodes or half season. You know, that, to me, like, I think you you could... Maybe there was some frustration of her coming in halfway through the first season, halfway through a season, so you didn't quite get the full length of time that you would have otherwise. Um, And I think some of her kind of, like, aloofness has to do with that, of the doctor having to kind of chase after her and her being like, oh, only on Wednesdays and all that kind of thing. Like, there was some Mm -hmm. resistance to her, whereas I think maybe it's easier to really fall in love with someone like Amy who just wants to like be the doctor's number one fan, you know? Um, and, mm. but, sure. but I think that if you really watch the character, that's not where it stays. Like, I think she's even in what we've seen, she's grown past that. Um, both the character and I think the actress has gotten to do more interesting things beyond that. Um, so, sure. uh, and, you know, I mean, we can talk about, like, more episodes as we see them. I, I, it seems to me that people are basing those kinds of criticisms of her on things that, like, aren't relevant anymore. Like, maybe they were valid criticisms two years ago, but, like, you know, um, yeah. I think you're not giving enough credit to where they've had the character go since then. Um and I think right, you get to right. that even in these last like the of the doctor trilogy. Um like I said like where you really do get to a sense of more passion and emotion from her. Um and I actually wanted to bring yeah. that up because it's we haven't had her that long but it's pretty a big deal to go from like her first episode where she's saying like you know come ask me tomorrow and maybe I'll come with you. To, in this last episode, um, I have the line here where she says, give me those big sad eyes. Look me straight in the eyes, so I know you're not lying and tell me you will never send me away ever again. Like, that's quite a reversal, you know. Um, You know, and, and in less than a season, you know, we've come from like, maybe I'll come with you, maybe I won't. To like, you know, this absolute... I'm telling you how it is and you are not allowed to send me away again. Um, So I, again, maybe people have resistance for other reasons. It seems to me that that's kind of the criticism I see is that she's kind of just bland, like not that, like maybe there's just not that much that's interesting about her. And I just, I don't get it really. Um,
0: Sure so
1: sure. you
0: know well and i i think that's we've tried to with each of the companions tried to focus more on on what is you know their their best aspects mm-hmm. rather than you know the criticisms of them um, right because well, um, you know certainly there are other companions that people don't like well, this as well is true. yeah you yeah know, so
1: um yeah and i think it it's you know and that doesn't mean that we can't look at the characters having flaws cuz i think another thing that is starting to get um another thing that maybe contributes to her blandness as people see it is this idea that she's like you know what they call a manic pixie dream girl that she's sort of this perfect little companion that the doctor picks up and she's just you know you know doesn't have any real flaws or, you know, like, I don't know, anything that makes her sort of realistic. But I think what we're starting to see is, again, this kind of, she has that line in the Christmas episode about when she's forced to tell the truth in the truth field about um, bubbly personality masking control freak. Um, You know, and I think... You know, you, you start to get a little bit more of that in this episode with her, like, demanding that he come and pretend to be her boyfriend and then let's go and cook the turkey and the TARDIS and everything. Like, you're getting the sense of her managing him a little bit um, and kind of expecting him to sort of come and be at her beck and call. And even the way that she orders him, you know, that you can't leave me and you can't send me away anymore. That she's sort of telling him what to do and everything. Um Like, I think those are a little bit less... Maybe those are the sides of her personality she doesn't always want to let you see. And so, you know, I think it takes a while to come out because the character kind of wants to be this sort of has-it-all-together kind of person um, and doesn't really like to show... She's not like Donna, who will tell you what she thinks and doesn't care, you know, like... Clara is very tactful and she cares about what you think of her and everything. So it's only in the last couple episodes that you start to see a few more of those like opinions come out. But mm. um But sure. again, I think it's starting to move in that direction and will continue to you know develop the character more in the next. In the next season certainly, hopefully in the upcoming one too, which I haven't seen. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Cool. Um, anything else we don't, we have maybe like eight minutes Uh left. (laughs) Um, any other sort of, uh, things you wanted to say about sort of the Matt Smith era or, or I know you had a few thoughts too about even just sort of upcoming, sort of setting the stage for the 12th doctor who we saw briefly at the end. Um, Uh, of the last episode that's
1: where I was gonna go unless you have something else that you wanted to bring up
0: no just just to say just to sort of reiterate where I I mean I've acknowledged this before Mm -hmm. um but I'll I'll reiterate that when I came into um the Matt Smith era uh you know I had I had sort of had this vision of him as sort of a Mm hipsterish, you know whatever and I and I I mean way back I think even in the first episode I acknowledged how wrong I was in sort of that expectation um as you know one often is when they have preconceived notions um you know and and just to sort of reiterate that I really I think the thing that I most enjoyed about Matt Smith and and I'm fine with even saying that I enjoyed being wrong mm-hmm. about that initial preconceived perception is is that you know, with sort of a hipster feel. And of course I was going on like sort of the look, right. The bow tie and the, you know, Fez and the sort of stuff that like I saw quoted maybe here and there, but, um, uh, I'm, I'm pleased and, and glad to admit that I was wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. because I think one of, one of the things and, 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 I mean I think other doctors have been this way as well but one of the things I really enjoy about Matt Smith is his earnestness mm-hmm. which is not which is sort of the opposite of hipsterism yeah. it's you know his non-ironical nature that that actually everything he did was in complete earnest even when he was sort of goofing around it, he was goofing around earnestly <laughs> if that makes sense yeah. and and there is there is that dichotomy of his being which you you've pointed out multiple times of his being sort of the oldest uh you know, doctor, obviously just sort of the oldest because we're seeing it literally, so every next doctor is going to be the oldest, but also, as we talked about, the longest lived as this in this particular mm-hmm. form, you know, of the doctor, and we see him grow old and whatever. And yet there's there's always a childlike quality sort yeah. of and and I think that's where that earnestness comes in is the you know, he has that this is fun. This mm-hmm. is you know, even when it's not fun, it's still something we need to do and still, you know, kind of whatever. And, and, you know, the silly things like, you know, tasting everything yeah. or, you know, the, the, you know, he really does think that fezes are cool now, even though everyone around him disagrees yeah. and, and, and like the fact that he keeps getting a new fez to put on, you know, yeah. and, you know, multiple instances and that kind of thing. And, and just that, there is that idea of like you know the child like every new thing is the coolest thing that can possibly mm-hmm. be done and so that's what he does and and that it's there isn't a sort of ironical nature to it. it you know it's not you know oh this is cool wink wink it's hey this is cool and i really think it is right. cool and i'm going to wear it as though it were the coolest thing that i could do yeah. um
1: yeah you think of him and, and
0: not just I talk a lot about the, the wearing stuff because that was like what I knew about him before coming into it. But I think also in personality and just the, 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 you know, going and doing of things that he goes and does, uh, is sort of all included in that, including the relationships he has with the different companions. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. Well, you think of the, the, uh, in that last one, when he's again, doing his drunk giraffe dance and he's, you know, the kids are saying <laughs> right. the kids are saying, cool is not cool. That, like, you know, what's cool to this doctor's being, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of like, oh, that's the kind of sweet message you want to tell the kids. But, like, he believes it and he means it, you know, and Matt Smith believes it in his performance, you know, like, you don't get the mm, sense right. that he's, you never get a sense from Matt Smith that he's, like, the grown-up doing the kid show and, like, like, no, he totally mm. believes it, you know, that he is invested in the character, he loves kids, and he honestly, like, believes every word that he's saying, you know, and, like, his silliness and his kind of ridiculousness is what make him cool, you know, that it's yeah. not about trying to fit anyone else's image of that, that he's just totally embracing himself. Um the other thing, too, is it reminds me of the line, which I realized later, I could, I could have brought this up in Day of the Doctor and didn't, but in Time Crash, when the 10th Doctor meets the 5th and says the line about, you know, when I was, you know, I was always trying to be old and grumpy and important, like you do when you're young, and then I was you, and it was wonderful, you know, and I think there's that idea of the the younger doctors and maybe the war doctor taking themselves a little too seriously and trying to be old and grumpy and important, whereas I think this Matt Smith doctor is the one that totally embraces just throwing all that out the window. And, like, yeah, he's the oldest, but he embraces all that joy and, you know, youthfulness and everything. um. Yeah, no, and it's totally... I think it is Matt Smith's performance because if you played it at all ironically, I think it would just come off as patronizing. So. um, Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Well, in our last two minutes, I do want to really quickly (laughs) set up some stuff for Capaldi because I'm sure we'll want to talk about the episode for the next week. Um, So, for the Twelfth Doctor, I just want to kind of remind everyone and point out that this is a new cycle so in a way this kind of makes him a sort of reiteration of the first doctor you know of Hartnell so it's kind of Mm -hmm. interesting that we're going after increasingly young looking doctors we've now gone to what is currently the oldest doctor to play the part um so he's actually he was 55 when he started and I think Hartnell was the same age even though Hartnell looks like he's like 80. Um, they're actually the same age. So, um, Capaldi looks a little bit younger, but he is actually the oldest. So we've now gone from Matt Smith, the youngest, to the opposite extreme. Um, Hmm. and in all the, um, you know, before his doctor debuted properly and kind of the promotional images, they had him, his sort of iconic outfit that he wears. You can Google some stuff of he's making, um, very similar gestures and wearing similar costumes to John Pertwee, who's the third doctor. Um, So it has this this kind of like magician cape and everything. So um, I think it's interesting that after the, you know, ninth and 10th and 11th doctors who've channeled like the kind of younger, I guess, cooler doctors, like, you know, the fourth with his scarf and Peter Davison and all that. Um, now we're getting a guy who's channeling, you know, Hartnell and and Pertwee, who are like these older, you know, gentlemen, and historically less approachable doctors. So um, hmm. I don't want to give anything away about his performance, but I think in terms of setting the stage, his references are different than their references. So rather than Troughton and Baker sure. and Davison... We're now looking at an entirely different set of classic reference, I guess. Um, So, wanted to point that out. Um, I did want to also point out uh, a reminder about the fact that we've had the familiar face. And I think I've said, like, that's worth keeping an eye on. That um, Hmm. Davies said that he had headcanon for how Capaldi could be in the fires of Pompeii and in Torchwood. Um and then when Moffat cast Capaldi, he emailed Davies and said, Does your idea still work? And Davies said, Yes, it does. Here's what it is, and Moffat said, Okay. So publicly before hmm. anybody even saw Capaldi's doctor, Moffat was saying, I will address this in show. So there's that. Um so a couple production notes. I mentioned um, about Capaldi being the oldest actor. Um, So like Tennant, he's a lifelong fan. So we're kind of getting more of that again. Um, He grew up with, you know, he's a little bit older. So he had earlier doctors that were his favorites, but, um, you know, was a lifelong fan that apparently he, you can find some really funny stories on like io9 that he wrote um, the Dr. Who production team constantly and annoyed them with, like, he had ideas and wanted to congratulate them on things, and he, like, badgered them to let him be the president of the, <laughs> the fan club. Um, and the, <laughs> the secretary wrote that, I wish the Daleks or someone would exterminate him, because he was so annoying. Um, and he actually did some pretty good fan art, which you can go... He, there's, like, a really good uh, caricature of Tom Baker that he drew. Um, so... Some other stuff about him, he, um, is, uh, Scottish, and unlike Tennant, he is keeping his Scottish accent for the part, um, and just a piece of trivia. He went to art school, and in in art school was the lead singer of a punk rock band with Craig Ferguson, so, you know, who is another, <laughs> which just, like, makes me really happy. Um,
0: yeah, I, I was not aware of that. Well, That's Ferguson amazing. is a drummer,
1: um. Like, he drums in the intro to his, you know, show and everything. And sure. another lifelong sure. Doctor Who fan. Um, so, I'm really hoping they get Ferguson on the show Sunday because I feel like that would be really cool. But, um, yeah, they were in a punk rock band together. Um, so, <laughs> Capaldi is probably, of the new Who doctors, the most... With the possible exception of Eccleston, but I don't I don't think even Eccleston. I think Capaldi at the time of being cast is probably the most well known. Um like sure. Eccleston and Tennant I think were kind of working and somewhat but they weren't like household names. Nobody knew who Matt Smith was. Um but Capaldi's like an established, you know, proper actors actor. Um He's in a pretty famous movie called Local Hero from the 80s. He was in Neverwhere, which was Neil Gaiman's TV series, which later was novelized. The TV series actually came Hmm. first. Um,
0: Did not know that. And
1: um, so he's probably best known for... There's this show called The Thick of It, and there was a movie called In the Loop, which is sort of a spinoff, where he plays... it's It's the same producers who make the show Veep on HBO... So it gives you an idea of the brand of political comedy. And he plays um, a spin doctor who's sort of based on Tony Blair's right-hand guy um, and is famously foul-mouthed in it. So, um, like, very creative uses of the F-word. So... Of course, as soon as he was cast, there are all sorts of jokes and videos of, the, you know, the doctor saying, like, you know, get the F in the TARDIS and all this kind of like, you know, how many jokes can you make out of it? Um, so, again, that kind of, like with the classic references to these, like, older doctors, this brings a certain set of expectations to the table, like, are people expecting, you know, this thick of it character to now be the doctor? Um And that may or may not be the case, but, you know, it's worth bringing up, since it's a really famous part of his. Um, And he actually is an Oscar winner. He won uh, for a short film that he did um, called Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life, which he wrote and directed.
0: That sounds
1: amazing. Um, So, yeah. So we have an Oscar winner now playing the Doctor, which I think is pretty great. Um, And, uh, okay, so for casting, um, apparently he considered auditioning for the 8th Doctor and decided not to do it. Um, Moffat had apparently considered his name for the 11th Doctor, but did auditions and found Matt Smith and didn't go in that direction. But when he was thinking about... The 12th Doctor, apparently his name kept coming up and they didn't audition anybody else. He just went to his house and they talked and read some scenes and then said, okay, you can have the part. Um, And yeah, so Moffat said it was a short list of one name. Um, And he said, we we knew the kind of Doctor we were looking for. It was time to push the Doctor in a different direction. So... um, And the last thing really quick is the 12th Doctor announcement, I've kind of mentioned how the show keeps getting bigger and the announcements have gotten, like, weirdly big. Um, Like, you know, I think Tennant was, like, Eccleston and Tennant were just, like, headlines in a newspaper. Matt Smith had, like, you know, a special behind-the-scenes episode where they kind of revealed his name at the end. Um, With Capaldi, they did, like, this live uh announcement where like they had live programming like simulcast around the world where they like had people talking about it and then at the end they like have capaldi behind a curtain and they like open the curtain and it's like peter capaldi and like the whole world sees it at the same time and it's really really bizarre like it i don't even really know what to compare it to um So, like, (laughs) unveiling the casting of a character live on TV to the whole world is just really strange. Um, So, yeah, you can find that on YouTube, too, so I can post that. Um, But, uh, anyway, those are my things. I just wanted to sort of set them up so that we're ready to go for the new season.
0: Cool. Sounds good. Well then we'll be ready to go with that next time, I guess. We should talk about Angel we now though, probably.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. So So where would you like to start with?
1: That? For Angel, I feel like I would like to start with the flashbacks. Um mm-hmm. so we have
0: I I have to okay. say though, just in general, I I like the um you know, the flashbacks we get, you know, like the Victorian written, or mm-hmm. er, I guess it's even earlier than Victorian, isn't it? In some cases. Yeah, um,
1: I couldn't really tell like what, um, I think it was supposed to be Victorian, wasn't it? Like that kind of, um, I don't know what period, like that early Victorian, like,
0: yeah, like it's, I, I, again, I would say it depends, cause like we get in this episode actually that Angel's what, 240-something? 47,
1: I think he says. Not 48, 47. Um,
0: So, I mean, just, you know, doing the math on that, you know, we're talking actually like 1750s, so it's it's like earlier than Victorian Mm -hmm. uh, period. It's like colonial American period, but it's in Britain. Right.
1: (laughs) Um, Right is that like regency but, or what I don't know. I don't know exactly what it what
0: you call it. I don't know. I mean it would be it it would be yeah, like King George cuz that's who we were fighting right when the Americans were a colonies. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, anyway, I I do like those flashbacks just as sort of a device. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we started getting them obviously in in Buffy um early on, but I, I like that we keep we're kind of keep going through it because it's just another avenue to sort of explore yeah. Angel, uh, you know, and his character and stuff.
1: Well, but and it's anyway. a way of, um, I can't remember if we've mentioned this before or not, but it is a way of kind of exploring Angelus without turning Angel evil every other week. You know, like you can still like, right, right. I mean, I, and I know we're kind of teasing that that could happen, but like. It, it's a way of reminding you of this other side that he has. Um, that doesn't feel repetitive because you're not um doing it in like the main timeline. You're you're exp- like you're filling in the gaps in his backstory and kind of showing you. Mm. So it's kind of easy to tell Gunn, oh, Angelus used to be like the evilest vampire ever, but it's a lot more interesting to show it. You know, so. While they're telling Gun this, we get the flashbacks. um, You know, showing just how kind of nasty he was and everything. Um, Yeah, yeah. But... uh, Definitely. Okay, so we get them in England. um, And we get them kind of doing their their Bonnie and Clyde thing, as Cordy calls it. Um, And I think it's... Kind of interesting that, uh, you know, the first we see is Darla's killed, um, this man who I guess was, you know, soliciting sex from a prostitute. Um, so you get her, you get potentially what could be like a vigilante kind of thing of taking out the, the kind of, you know, skeezy guy who's going after the woman type thing. And Darla says, um, uh you know, I hate cheap royalty. But then you see that she killed the prostitute too, you know. Um, and why right. did you kill her? Well, I just liked her. Um and you know, and, and <laughs> Angel says, Well, they all taste the same to me. So you get kind of this non discriminating just, you know, there's no there's no intention it's not about who deserves it or who do they like or not like or who are they offended by or disgusted by. It's just anybody and everybody. Um,
0: Right. Whatever
1: sort of looks good to them in the moment. Um, But that's not to say that they don't go out of their way for certain people in particular, because then you get um, them sort of focusing on this family, which has these daughters, um, and in particular, Drusilla. Mm -hmm. And I think... Like my exact words were Drew <laughs> Like We didn't <haven't laughs> right. see her in forever. Um since season two of Buffy? I think. Right? yeah that's a long time ago. yeah
0: the end of i mean the end of season two is pretty much you know like spike and drew fleeing sunnydale yeah. right and the next we see if spike and is I,
1: he's depressed because she left him for <laughs> somebody else yeah i was
0: i was <laughs> right right we see spike yeah but we don't see Mm-mm. drew and i i was trying to remember if we get her in any other flashbacks because it's not the only flashback we'll see her in. Right. Well, um, and
1: i did kind of wonder because she's not in it that much Um, so I did kind of wonder, are we going to see a little bit more, you know, because it seemed like she was only in like, you know, a scene or two. So, um, it would, it would surprise me if that wasn't setting her up to be in it a little bit more.
0: And, and I I mean, obviously we still have Spike in Buffy, but, you know, we also know that Spike knew Angelus and he and Drew had been together for a long, long time. So you know there's always that possibility of seeing you know spike in more flashbacks in as part of angel's story right. not just you know whatever might happen in buffy so um there's definitely that that aspect of just like with doctor who you know people may always come back you know same kind of thing like we've seen all these flashbacks now mm-hmm. and you know uh, at least twice now we've gotten dead vampires who have returned as angel sort of points out in this episode you know hey i died and came back and now we know that darla has died and came Mm -hmm. back um you know so just throwing that out there uh for whatever that may or may not be um yeah so anyway um we get so yeah we get we get sort we get sort of the turn you, you know the the um,
1: the slow turn uh, towards so, the camera the
0: the the, the siring of mm-hmm. Drew you know a story in this episode um, yeah and and sort of the I mean you know and again it's not the first time we've sort of seen Angelus as like you know we've heard that he's sort of like a, a psychological he he prefers the psychology you know playing with sort of the terror aspect of you know being a vampire and and threatening people it's not just about the you know for him like even with the you know hey everyone sort of tastes the same Mm -hmm. to me idea it's like oh okay so that's not it's not like the variation in blood type that (laughs) does him and you know it's it's the slow you know how what are the different ways that i can sort of tailor my um you know torture to this specific person kind of thing and and it's you know it's like we see like he's almost like a connoisseur Mm -hmm. like you know when he gets some oh this is someone rare right this is someone with the sight so you know how what are the special tortures and and he realizes that the the most torturous thing in this instance is actually not to kill her but to uh you know Keep her alive, or rather, keep her going yeah, as a vampire. Yep, yeah.
1: yeah. and you get kind of her, um, uh, you know that she was sort of. She has the sight, but also that makes her kind of mad already, even before she got bitten. You know, so, um, right, you know, she has her. It you know so a couple things there. One, it makes the sort of torment worse for her because, like Angel says, she has the sight. She knows what's coming. You know, she can sense sort of the anticipation is the worst part and she can kind of see where this is going even more than other people can. Um, But you also get her mm-hmm. kind of little poetic rambles and everything that, that characterize her as the vampire, too. Um, You know, her snake in the woodshed, snake in the woodshed, you know, and all those little lines, like, and, the, and the moment where, at the end, when they kind of have decided they're going to bite her rather than kill her, where she's, like, laughing, and then starts crying, like, where she kind of doesn't even know what to feel, or, you know, um, again, she kind of is appreciating things on that slightly different plane, um, you know, you know, and there is that kind of thing of Darla saying... Like, you want to turn her, but she's a lunatic, where, like, you have to know that turning somebody who's already sort of uh, a little bit mad to begin with is going to come out with a especially mad vampire. Um, right. So, like, you're not even just turning a regular vampire. You're, like, turning, you know, one of the, the kind of supervillains and everything, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is... It definitely is an interesting aspect when you think about, like, she actually knew what was going to happen to her before Angel actually Mm. knew. Because you get that that moment where he's like, oh, she has this sight. I'm going to have to think of something really good for her. And she's already sort of... She must already sort of know, by the way, she's sort of... Pushing her family away, yeah. Pushes her family away. Like, she already... Is apparently aware of what's going to happen to her before he's even sort of decided. Like, there's a there's an interesting, you know, like maybe question of predestination Mm -hmm. and stuff in there with that. Right, because it's um, like just kind of thinking about that. that.
1: What attracts him to her in the first place? You know, um, right,
0: right. The very fact that she can see the torment and that that's what causes him to come up with such a great torment, which she already sees. (laughs) So, right. So there's a
1: little bit of like a chicken or egg scenario Um, right so okay I think that covers the the, uh, flashbacks so for the modern day I want to start with Darla and her plan um, because we get a lot more information than we've had before Um, Mm -hmm. and I guess the first thing to mention um, is just the fact of uh, that we, what we learn eventually is that, um, she's human. Um, which I certainly didn't assume or even guess to be the case. Um, you know, so, you know, there's that moment where like Angel's sort of grabbing her and she runs out into the sunlight and, you know, and so, you know, for me as a viewer for a moment, I'm kind of wondering, like, I'm called into question, like, is that really Darla? Like, am I am I getting unreliable narrator here? Like, am I seeing her because Angel sees her or expects to see her, but it's not really her? Or, you know, is there mm-hmm. something else going on? But the further it goes on, no. She apparently was brought back human. Um, and apparently that means that she has soul now. Um, What's really interesting to me is that uh, it doesn't seem to have yet affected her in quite the same way that it affected Angel. Like, with Angel, you see him kind of get his soul back. And at first, he still has the, like, vampire cravings, but he can only kind of go so far with it. You know, like... It's not too... Mm -hmm. Like, pretty much, I think, if I remember right, like, the first person he tries to, like, attack, he, like, can't even do it. Um, and it takes him a while to figure out why. Um, but, um... You know, and even longer to really learn how to become, like, functional again. But, like, at least, like, it seems to have this immediate kind of guilt-inducing effect. Um, whereas... And he wasn't even human. He's just a vampire with a soul. Um, Whereas here we have Darla, who's apparently not a vampire anymore and full human and uh, is pretty much not seeming to feel the kind of guilt that Angel is feeling. Um, Right. She's ready to go back to being Bonnie and Clyde. And, you know... um, so kind of help Wolfram in heart because their interests align, but really uh she's not doesn't seem that interested in what they want. It's more about she wants Angel back with her, doing their thing, causing their mayhem um back to kind of the glory days of how it was. So um that's yeah. all interesting. Yeah. Um
0: Yeah, and you know. What The thing that I found interesting this, this particular couple times watching it, um, something that I hadn't really noticed or thought about before, was that there seems to be mutual assumptions being made by both Angel and Darla that the other one is reacting, or at least should react, in the same way that they mm. did themselves. Yeah. And so, like... So, like you do get this sense of like you know Darla, you know, with a restored soul, of course, and it's fully human um you know the fact that she doesn't feel the way that Angel felt when he realized his horrors, kind of says a lot about her character, mm-hmm. you know, as a human, perhaps even before she sort of did the atrocities that you know vampirism sort of suited her well, right. you know as you know, there there wasn't maybe much for the demon side of her to to change about her personality. Mm-hmm. She was just now stronger and lived longer and, you know, more powerful and that kind of stuff. Um,
1: right, so the... But there's also... Sorry, finish.
0: Well, I was just going to say, so there's the, the assumption that Angel is making that that there is, you know, that by imbuing her with a soul... You know, by reinsoling her or whatever, that she's going to feel that same sort of guilty feeling that he had, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Right. Um, the, the other side is the assumption that uh, Darla is making that, you know, Angel as a vampire actually loved her and wanted to be with her. And we sort of find out here, you know, when Angel was like, you never made me happy because I didn't have a soul like it. You know, there's this there's this idea that, you know, Darla with the soul still loves Angel and wants to Mm -hmm. be with him. But the only reason he was with her was because he was soulless. And now you get the sense that he has no interest in her in that way anymore. Now, that's not to say that knowing that she's human and whatever now that he won't try to help her in some way. Maybe he Mm -hmm. will. I mean, we can sort of assume that he probably would, you know, just like he would help anyone. But that's the point is that it's just like he would help anyone, not that she's She's Darla and that he wants to be with her. And, you know, so um, and of course, I think to a lesser degree, you get like Wesley and Cordy. And even Kate and Gunn, you know, although they don't know Angel as well, kind of making similar assumptions, even that Darla is making about Angel. Um, that just because Darla's back, he automatically wants to be with her and, you know, wreck ruin and, right. uh, you know, all that stuff. But, but we find out that actually he has no interest in any of that. Um, even though for a few minutes you, you kind of wonder as they're like making right, out, right, right. you know, yeah. um, there's that aspect yeah, of How far it. But, is this going to go? Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that he doesn't have feelings for her in, in a, you know, visceral sort of way. Sure. But, but again, you get the sense that it's not, they're not like happy feelings. You know, he, you know, he, like you said, it was, when he was soulless, that he was sort of with her. And um, I don't, you know, there's probably like a deeper, like, sort of gender commentary on relationship, like, in that as mm-hmm. well, perhaps. But, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have to get into that um, or whatever. But there's, I, I just, I found that interesting as I was watching it this time around that there is that sort of,
1: yeah.
0: um, you know, additional. Those, those sort of counter assumptions being made um, you know, by each of them.
1: Well, so, and yeah. um, it, it recolors how you take her lines where she's sort of accusing him of, um, uh, what does she say? No matter, oh no, that's not the one I want. Um, she says, you don't learn that kind of darkness. It was in you before we ever met. My boy is still in there and he wants out. So... In light of what you just said, it makes me think that's far more true for her than it is for him. That, you know, not that Angel, uh, you know, or Liam, I guess, was, you know, all perfect and the vampire is all evil and the two don't have anything to do with each other. I think there's been evidence to show that there is some link between you know, the personality and the personality of the vampire. But it it that doesn't seem to be true from what we've seen of, you know, Liam wasn't really a psychopathic killer. And as soon as he got his soul back, he did feel, you know, the weight of the guilt and started to work to um, you know, make amends for that. Whereas Darla, now we haven't seen her in any pre-vampire flashbacks, but it's kind of restored to Darla. Seems like she, it's true for her what she's accusing him of—that her with a soul and human isn't really different from the vampire. That you know that you know that suggests that maybe that darkness is was in her before, or at least has a stronger element in her personality than it did for him. So. Yeah. yeah, in the, in that assumption-making, I think there's some projection going on there of, like, each of them just mm. seeing themselves in the other. Or, like you said, just assuming that what they are going through is the same as what the other person went through. You know, Darla can accuse him of always being that dark because maybe she's always been that dark. And as far as she knows, that's how it works, you know. I'm bad so everybody's bad. Um and if you say mm-hmm. you don't have these urges then you're just not being honest. Um Yeah. And and angel well, saying and, the reverse, you know, I feel guilt. Therefore, if you say you don't feel guilt, you're wrong, you know, and you will. Whereas maybe Darla, maybe she just hasn't been, you know, a, you know, remorseful person. Um
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, and Right. I mean, it's, you're right. It's hard because we haven't really seen Darla pre vampire. Um, and we don't see, like, what we've seen of Angel or, like, yeah, Liam, yeah. you know, uh, we've seen him as sort of a Playboy carouser, mm-hmm. but that's not the same as, like, People. psychopathic yeah, killer. Yeah. And, and, and so there, there is sort of a, there is sort of disconnect there, like to to just sort of assume that he, you know, was a killer, like he certainly didn't like kill anyone or, you know, even seem to want to before that, even though, yeah, he sort of drank a lot and fooled around with the maids or tried to fool around with right. the maids or whatever and, and that sort of thing. But you wonder if like now, like Angel with a soul is sort of like you know, life experience angel Mm -hmm. with who's like grown up and kind of gotten past his, you know, early twenties playboy Mm -hmm. phase and is quote settling down, you know, in that sort of way and becoming more responsible and that kind of thing. I think that that's a lot of what we might expect for someone who, you know, a guy in their twenties who maybe drinks too much and, you know, sleeps around, you know, or whatever. But, later in life sort of does become the more responsible person, you know, um, in that aspect. And so I think there's just a different sort of thing going on, but I mean, yeah, I, you know, how do you make, you don't want to make too much of that because we haven't really seen Darla yet. Sure. So, uh, you know, before she was, yeah, I think her. it's and,
1: speculative at this point to kind of think about what she might've been beforehand, but, um, but I yeah. think that's a good point of her assuming things that, you know, so far don't seem to be true of Angel. Um, yeah. And it's, it makes me she... wonder, like, okay, is he, you know, because part of me wants to believe him that, like, okay, the longer she has a soul, the more she'll start to feel, you know, regret for what she's done. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that that's true, you know? Um evidence to the contrary i don't see any you know the fact that she's misunderstanding him leads me to think that he's probably misunderstanding her
0: um sure yeah i definitely think it's a dual a dual misunderstanding there um so yeah and and the fact is she doesn't really know what he was like before he was turned into a vampire either because like he she pretty much turns him immediately when she meets him like we've seen that right You know, he stumbles out of the bar and she leads him down an alley and turns him. It's not like she really knows knows what he's like. Well,
1: And there's a sense in that everything she's saying is suspect because it's all calculated to get this sort of rise out of him and to, you know, like, to, um, you know, bring that darkness out of him. So Mm. it's not even so much important whether she believes that that's really in there. What's important is that she do everything she can to get, you know, to get her boy back out. Like she said. Um, Mm. so, you know, all of the, so like, I think the, the kind of sensualness has been part of it, but kind of the insults are part of it too. The kind of like, if I, you know, tell you you're bad long enough, eventually you'll believe me. Um, So, you know, which kind of, I guess, um, brings me to sort of her larger plan, Um, which we kind of saw her doing her, like, invading his dreams thing, which, um, when he stopped sleeping, sort of got interrupted. So now we have this more, you know, offensive plan, where she's sort of out and about during the day and pretending to... Be somebody mm-hmm. else, um, and actually, from like the acting point of view, I was um, kind of pleasantly surprised with um, what's the actress's name that plays Darla now? I can't remember. Um,
0: oh, uh, Julie Benz. Yeah.
1: You. Um, I haven't had any like problems with the way she plays Darla, but I feel like up to this point, Darla's been fairly kind of one note, like. She kind of does the same things and, you know, acts and sounds like you kind of expect her to. Um, And I was kind of pleased to see another side of uh, at least the actress, you know, in this episode. That, you know, like she did a good job with the scenes where she, I mean, both Darla as an actor, but Julie Benz did a good job with the scenes where she's pretending to be, um, you know... Dieta or whatever, Um, you know, and her kind of Mm -hmm. confusion and panic and not knowing what's going on. I thought she did a pretty good job with that and showed me another side of the actress that I didn't hadn't seen before. So, um.
0: sure, sure. So um, you kind you kind of mentioned like that what she's saying is calculated, mm-hmm. um, which of course calculated isn't the same as like lying per se. Right. Um, but do you think, so do you take her sort of last comments there about, you know, still want, you, you know what she say? I, I forget exactly like, you know, you, you don't want me, but I still want you kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, or, or no, what? Uh, no matter how good a boy you are, God doesn't want you, but I still mm-hmm. do. Do you think, She's being earnest there? Like, do you think she has Do you think she's playing with Wolfram and Hart? Insofar as like she she's has doing what agenda. they will. But like, yeah, is kind of working on her own thing? I mean I, I'm trying Yeah. I I apologize if that's a leading question.
1: I mean, that's kind <laughs> of how that's how I took it. Um I mean there is the the possibility that she's lying, but Angel kind of suggests that when he's like, you know, oh, they're going to turn me evil. This is their big, you know, dastardly plan. And she's like, yeah, it's kind of basic, but, you know, you work with what you have kind of thing. Like, so she at least suggests the idea that she's not terribly impressed with Wolfram and Hart, but she'll go along with it because it gets her what she wants, that kind of a thing. Um, Sure. So... I mean, I took that sincerely, that she may be working for them, but, like, when it comes down to it, she has what she wants, and that's more important than what Wolfram and Hart want, I think. Mm. Um, which they want the same thing right now, as far as I know, because one of the things we learn is that Wolfram and Hart want Angel turned. They don't want him just dead at this point. Um... Right. So and that's what she wants too. Is she wants them back in their big bad glory days? So, um,
0: right. You
1: right. know, but maybe she thinks once that happens, the two of them will give them the slip and run off together, and you know, go back to doing what they always did. So, um, that's how I read it. Sure. Cool.
0: Um, and we've kind of talked a bit about Angel and all of that as well. Uh, any other thoughts? Do you want to talk about him?
1: Um, let me see. Well, there's the repeated thing about I have a thing for convents. Just sort of creepy. Yeah. He knows all the convents and, you know, where they are. Um, again, just with reminding us that that side is sort of, you know... And there's, like, a bunch of creepy stuff like that of, like, when he is punching the guy and doesn't stop, and Wesley has to sort of pull him off, um... Or when he's sniffing Cordelia's hair. Like, you know, I mean... Yeah. Uh... You know, we're... we're he kind of plays it cool with Darla, but you we're getting the hints that she is kind of getting to him. Like, his like Cordy says he's being weird and he is being weird. Like there are a bunch of things he's doing that are not normal um, by his standards Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, You know, that are kind of maybe, maybe Cordy and Wesley, you know, jump the gun a bit with assuming that he's turned, but maybe not like he is kind of acting a little bit off in this episode. I think. Sure. And,
0: it's hard to attribute it specifically to one thing. Yeah. So like, you know, is it sleep deprivation? Is it the fact that he sees or thinks he sees Darla? Is it a combination of both? Right. Like, you know, there's not, there's not like necessarily one thing that is causing this and it definitely is making him act weird mm-hmm. though. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I agree there um it is that hard thing of like not really knowing how far to trust someone Mm -hmm. um which of course causes trouble uh with kate Mm -hmm. too when she sort of steps into it um yeah and also like kind like i mean i think he realizes it like i think that's part of the reason why we wanted to talk about the host Mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit too even though he doesn't sort of play a big part in this episode there is there is an interesting scene there with him because um you know beyond the fun of seeing uh angel singing again (laughs) wang chung yeah um you know there is there is a thing that where the host is like hey you're at a critical junction like there there's something going on here that you need to decide for yourself. And, and he can't actually give him advice, um, on what's happening. And, and, and we, and, and even, you know, a brief, a brief sort of, uh, insight into the host himself too, about what exactly he does. He doesn't just read the future. He says, I set people on their paths. Okay. And this is way off your path. Go Hmm. home. So, You know, part of his, like, it's more than just a, oh, here's what's going to happen to you. He's actually more, he's actually, in a way, a guide Mm -hmm. too. It's not just, you know, these are sort of the fundamental things. There are, almost like, you know, the Doctor Who. Like, there are moments that are are critical. uh, Only in Doctor Who, those moments don't change. Mm. Whereas here, it seems like there are moments... That actually can change, mm-hmm. and you need to decide to do the right thing. Right. Um You know, much more of a sort of free will aspect to it there. Right, um, and,
1: and crucially, Angel doesn't take his advice. <laughs> he he goes right. after her. He ignores the, the guide. And, like, even though he's telling him that way, you know, trouble with the capital Trub, and, you know, that way lies badness, and all that kind of thing, Angel says, "Well, too bad." And goes and does it anyway. And yeah. so I think it's not at the end when it ends with the kind of you know, trouble and I say, "Bring it on." It's not a like, "Ooh, cool hero moment." It's like ominous. That you know, th- this is Anna, you've been you've been warned. This is not the kind of trouble you want to get mixed up in, and he's Yeah. inviting it in um with open arms.
0: Right. And and in a way that he could have yeah. avoided. Like had he listened. Right. But he didn't. Right. <laughs> you know, Potentially. I mean we don't know like we don't actually get what right. you know, the trouble might be. Well and that's so. what
1: makes it ominous because if it's just if it's just bad things are coming for you and you can't do anything about it, then saying bring it on sounds kind of brave. Like mm. I'm making I'm gonna do what's right under the circumstances and you know and and face it head on whereas like stirring up trouble you know is you can avoid and is not good for anybody and it's just going to get people hurt and then like bragging about how you're going to kick its butt comes across as kind of arrogant you know like um, yeah yeah like you know it kind of gives that it's not a hero moment at the end there. It's kind of a, oh, no, like, what have you started? Um, mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah. 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 So definitely there's maybe some poor decisions being made mm-hmm. there. Um, but we'll have to see how that pans out, I guess. I guess um, I also
1: want to just bring up, too, this idea of with Darla also now being human, now the question of killing a human is on the table you know that angel says the the way angel says it he kind of seems like one of the reasons of having darla is that rather than just a demon or another vampire that having setting someone against him who's human that he won't kill them you know so not only do you get her causing mischief but you're supposedly Preserving her because Angel won't kill a human. Um, Angel says that this is not true. So, well... <laughs> he, he he says, says it, it, right. And so I guess is, the question is... Is that do a lot of big talk him? or not? Um, so, sure. yeah. I think we've had that question with Buffy before, too, of, like, where does your jurisdiction end? You know, is, is Angel's role to fight evil no matter what form, you know? Um, Or is there a kind of no human taboo? Um, Sure. I don't know. So, I mean, that's two questions to me. One, would Angel do it or not? And then two, would he be in trouble for doing it in the first place? Um, From like Mm. maybe his higher powers that be, authorities or whatever.
0: right good question questions Questions. okay
1: um yeah did we miss anything for angel and darla
0: no i think i think we're good i think i mean that's obviously their sort of uh relationship and and you know just the confirmation now that like now we it's not just angel having like Nebulous dreams and not understanding. Um, we actually get reference from Darla, like, you're gonna miss the dreams, Mm. you know, you you know, because like now she's sort of taken away from him in that way, you know. Um, and there is a sense that we like, we still don't know did Angel like this sort of implies like that Angel did remember the dreams you know, Darla saying, you're going to miss them. It's like, well, how could he miss them if he wasn't really remembering them before? But now, now this sort of seems to be a hint that like, maybe he does remember Mm -hmm. the dreams that he was having and kind of knew that he was dreaming about Darla. And, and I think he even says that at one point, right? Like that he, he admits to having had dreams um, that to, uh, Wesley and Cordy that he admits to them. So, so that sort of answers that question right. of like... How
1: much is he aware maybe, of this? Maybe, yeah.
0: maybe he was indulging himself a mm-hmm. little bit. Like maybe all of the tiredness was an actual tiredness, but wanting to go back into that dream right. uh, where Darla was there. And And so does that give some credence then to Darla's sort of assertions mm-hmm. about his desires for her and wanting to be with her. Like maybe he's being a little mm-hmm. evasive and, un, un, uh, well, lying, you know, about <laughs> yeah. his true feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or at least not willing to sort of tell the whole truth right. about it. Right. Um, like, So, yeah, I mean, he, there's definitely some ambiguity. He has that
1: moment in the beginning where he sort of wakes up out of the dream and doesn't really talk about it. It's not until he sees her in person um, like out walking around, that he actually tells the others about it. Um, yeah. yeah, you know he sort of comes and, clean then. Uh.
0: And I agree with you that sort of the artistry of that, um, the way they do Darla there is—you do get a sense of like it's almost could be like a sort of I don't know Hitchcockian sort of like uh, vision. Right. Like it's not really. Is that really the person, or is it just? I think it mm-hmm. is. Like, I'm seeing it through Angel's eyes, and it's just, you know, again, whether because of sleep deprivation or because Darla's on his mind or right. whatever, does that mean that uh, that person isn't really there, kind of thing? You know, just someone who kind of looks like her. Yeah. Um, and of course, we realize later that it actually is. It, it's Darla sort of creating right. that illusion. Right or or question uh, in his mind. Um, so, yeah.
1: Well, and that leads me to Wesley, because I think Wesley's kind of the voice of that kind of skepticism in the episode, that he's the one who keeps saying, like, well, you know, it can't be Darla because you staked her and she's gone and vampires can't come back from the dead. And, you know, um, on the one hand, I'm inclined to be kind of annoyed, because like, you know, with Angel's response (laughs) like, well, I came back, like sometimes, you know, you feel like that in like, you know fantasy stories where people are like, that's impossible, and it's like, well, it's clearly not like, you've seen evidence that it is possible, but on the other hand, I'm sitting there doing the same thing of going, is that really Darla? Am I really seeing her? Is it just, you know, like I'm asking Mm. the same questions, so um much as I want to kind of bonk him, it's also, like, I'd probably be saying the same thing if I was in his situation. (laughs) Um, And I think that's Wesley's sort of role is to be that voice of reason, like, you know, do your research, look it up in a book, find answers, find rational answers to things. Um, Don't just take everything on, you know... Uh, on faith with no research or questions or anything. Um, sure. So. Yep. Uh, oh, and like, I mean, and he does it again when they finally see her themselves and says, obviously she's not a vampire. Obviously Angel made a mistake. Um. So.
0: Right. But turns out he right, didn't. exactly. And she's... She it is Darla, it's just she's not a vampire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that definitely is like it's done well because they never they never really say what Darla comes back as. You just assume that it is as right. a vampire because why would you assume right. otherwise? And that's how Angel came back. So
1: right. Yeah, it's the only thing that really occurs to you. On the first viewing, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um Um for Cordy. We, oh go ahead. We
0: mentioned Oh okay. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Talk about
1: um, Cordy. I mean I don't have a lot. Like we get the Cordy and Wesley sort of bickering and um mm-hmm. you know uh his you know his little uh parody of her that, you know, I won't weania out like you. Wesley, you know, like mimicking her voice and everything, you know, and they have this kind of like brother, sister, you know, relationship. Um, but I mean, I guess with Cordy, the thing that she keeps doing is this kind of, in a way she questions, she's skeptical in a different way than Wesley. Like, whereas Wesley wants to sort of Disbelieve everything at first until it's proven. Cordy seems to be focused on, like, just keeping Angel honest. Like, she's the one who keeps, like, confronting him about stuff. Like, not just saying, like, oh, obviously he made a mistake, but kind of calling him out on some of his crap. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even if he, you, you know, shoves her off, at least she's the one to say, hey, you know, you've been sleeping for three days straight or hey stop chasing away our only paying client in the month or whatever um yeah so i kind of appreciate that about hers that she doesn't mind being a nag like she'll there's a problem and she'll keep bringing it up until it's fixed
0: sure sure well in that i mean i think that fits right along with her personality that we've seen from mm-hmm. the beginning of you know, she says things the way that she mm-hmm. sees them. She's not going to like let someone else, you know, sort of wallow in their yeah. own, whatever. If she thinks that they shouldn't be wallowing, right. <laughs> she's going to tell them not right. to wallow. Like spank, and, and spank it up.
1: or mop it and get over it kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have a ton of stuff recorded too. I think, uh, I think you're right. Like that's, that's, sort of the part that she definitely plays here. Um, and, and, and sort of along with that, I mean, of course, she's still number one to herself. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's about remaining solvent so that she can get her, you know, regular payments and stuff. But, um, (laughs) I like that. How about every time you look up a demon in one of your books, we give you $10
1: (laughs) or a pot pie
0: (laughs) or a pot pie. Um, yeah, which actually is probably the better thing, right? you, you can get, like, the frozen pot pies for, like, a couple bucks. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, we get we get Kate coming back. And she's still pretty bitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there's a sense that, like, her, I don't know, Mulderism, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah. like. Has sort of degenerate, and and like Mulder, who you know is sort of relegated to a basement office. Like she's clearly been sort of demoted right. and marginalized on she's, the police force. She's as ruining someone. her
1: career in with like, this obsession. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and like losing friends over it and whatever. And I kind of wonder, like, because she has this, you know, this partner guy who, or, you know, or former partner or whatever, who comes and gives her like this envelope with the picture of the hotel and angel investigations. I kind of wonder, he says like a friend of a friend, you know, thought this might be mm-hmm. of use to, or of interest to you. And I kind of, it's like, Oh, who's this friend of a friend? Is this Wolfram and right. Hart? <laughs> Like, you know, it. you know, like it's not, it's not explicitly yeah. stated, but there is sort of that overtone of like, yeah, why, why are they sort of instigating this and giving her this info? And obviously Kate sort of, Thankful for it because she does want to keep tabs on Angel. Mm-hmm. But but there's also because, you know, Darla's sort of creating this whole setup and stuff. It's like, oh, what perfect timing mm-hmm. for Kate to sort of remember that Angel exists and, yeah. you know, puts puts sort of his place of business in the forefront yeah. of her mind. So, yeah, you know, who's, who's sort of feeding this info is a big question there. Um, And also her, I mean, you know, rating of the hotel, whatever, like, I mean, I actually think, you know, if she has, as as much as I disapprove of police procedure sometime, like it seems like in this instance, she at least has enough to Mm. go on. Like, you know, Wesley's objections about, uh, you know, warrants or is it Cordy? Maybe Mm. I can't remember who asked, uh, you know, is sort of, well, you know, not, Not really appropriate because like there is probable cause at this Mm -hmm. point for them to be coming and looking and and her little speech that she gives is interesting because I think she's kind of right Mm -hmm. in a way Um, when she says, you know, the fact that you're fighting your big battles of good and evil and the innocent ones are the ones who get caught in the crossfire. Uh, you know, those are the ones I care about. Like that man tonight, like the real owners of that house, if what you say is true. And those are the ones I chalk up to your boss. And in one sense, that's unfair. Mm-hmm. Because you can't, like there are other human and non-human human motives that have led to those deaths. But in another sense, there it is kind of fair because they're killing those people to attract angel to Mm. get angel involved you know and so there's like there's a sense now of angels not only sort of out there helping people but like people are actually being put in danger because Mm -hmm. of him and and so i don't know that that's that it's been quite that way to this point like it seems like a new sort of dimension of you know, that he's he's become a big enough force now, not just like even even with Wolfram and Hart before, like they were sending assassins after him and yes, like I suppose like by proxy sort of Wesley and Cordy and maybe even a little bit gun were kind of in danger mm-hmm. because of that. But like now it's like just random innocent people who are being Right. Killed. At least
1: they are choosing to be there aware of what's right. going
0: on whereas yeah right right they're at least informed and and you know have made that mm-hmm. decision but like now there's just random people who are being killed to you know so that their house can be used as a lure to get angel to you know sort of flush him out and so this is sort of like an escalation of that kind of thing right. of you know let you know it's beyond just angel helping people and people trying to you know, him sort of pissing off Wolfram and Hart or whatever. It's like, now there's the people that he has to help are actually people who are getting hurt because he's been helping people, right, you know? Right. So it's like this weird sort of circular thing going on. And, and I think that's the crux of it that, that Kate is sort of pointing out that like hadn't really been brought to anyone's attention mm-hmm. at this point. Um, now, she's probably thinking of people like her father, but of course we know her father was kind of crooked right. a little bit. So, you know, maybe not quite in the way that even she's thinking, but but there is some truth to her her statements there. So I think it's definitely important to sort of see, like she's not just necessarily a pawn in Darla's plan. Like she has legitimate reasons mm-hmm. to be angry with Angel and want to stop him as well. Um Yeah even though we know he's not technically the one sort of causing it, he is sort of in a way still kind of at the center of the fault for some of the bad stuff that's happening. Here. Right.
1: Again, especially if we now have him explicitly ignoring warnings and diving head first yeah. into causing more trouble, you know, right. It, it, like that's only going to escalate that issue even more. Um, You know, so, yeah, I think she definitely does have a good point. Um, Actually, her, I'm kind of with you, her search of the hotel didn't bother me as much as the fact that she only checks for a rap sheet on (laughs) Gunn. And I thought of Gunn from, like, two episodes ago saying, you know, oh, you assume that those brothers are all criminals. Like, she doesn't check for a sheet on Cordy or Wesley, I noticed. So, like... You know, I don't know how far I want to take yeah. it just a moment of like, oh come on, awkward.
0: But although she's she's met them before. Right. So she 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 already, so maybe like, she has already known associates checked them out before. So I, I would assume that she has already right. run you know, stuff on them. But yeah, I I definitely see what you're saying there though. Like there is that that sense. And not an inaccurate one perhaps. Um so um. yeah.
1: And the other thing uh, with Gunn that I wanted to point out is the fact that it's in, he finds out, you know, he knew Angel was a vampire, but he didn't, he thought he was a good vampire, you know, from everything he's seen. Mm. And so he finds out in this episode that, oh, occasionally he turns evil. Like, And I like the dry way he says he turns evil. like, Like, as if he's imagining this is something that just happens, like randomly on occasion. Like, this is just, oh, this is something we have to deal with. Um, And they're kind of saying, well, it's not that bad. Except, well, yeah, it is. You know, like, okay, Mm -hmm. how bad does he go? Kind of as bad as they come. And, you know, Um, but then when Kate turns up, even he, with the others, doesn't, like, budge. You know, and totally... You know, and he even says, like, that he values loyalty over... Now, if Evil Angel comes in, he'll take him out, no problem. You know, so he says, like, if Angel if Angelus walks through that door, i um, staking him. But, um, mm-hmm. under other circumstances, um, he says that uh, uh, there's nothing I respect more than loyalty. So... I think that's interesting that to have him be, have him show loyalty for Angel, even though he's found out this, um, you know, really uh, dangerous thing about him.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, in a sense, he he also has, and and maybe he's sort of between Wesley and Courtney in this, but he does have a sort of skepticism, mm-hmm. like he, you know, his. He's more of a street smart. Right. Like, he's the one who figures out, like, wait a minute. Angel couldn't have just busted in. Like, he's the one who would totally think of the practical. Right. Like, Wesley would be, like, you know, the book guy of, like, let's research and figure this out. And, you know, but he, you know, he's sort of, like, the practical thing. Like, yo, vampires can't, you know, just bust into someone's house that's there. Right. Alive. right.
1: Like, well, and you get the sense that that's why he sticks up for him. Because it wouldn't make sense. Like... I don't think he's just blindly loyal, like it right he would he would um I think if it didn't make sense to be loyal to angel, he wouldn't be you know like I think it's because he's seen like he's kind of weighed all the options and you know and looked at the evidence like well, he could only get in if he was invited, so logically, you know he must still be. You know, he must not have turned evil, so therefore he's worth being loyal to. You know, like, you get that kind of, like, practicality from him. I don't think it's just, like, unquestioning loyalty. Um, It seems like there's some thought behind it, so. Sure.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Any other thoughts? Just in general. Uh, right?
1: Nope. I think that's everything I had.
0: Cool. Oh, yeah. All right, then. Um, I guess we're done, and we'll be back with some more Buffy and a new doctor next yeah. week.
1: All right. See you All then. Right.